morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone this morning. And as uh, Master Grand Sergeant mentioned at the end of the service, uh, there will be a time where I will invite those who uh, uh, have different reasons to come forward in prayer. I'll be sure to uh, explain that out at the end. And if you uh, need to go home and go about your ways, you're free to do so at the end. During that time, I'll invite the, the prayer team to come forward, and I'll invite the worship team to come forward, and that will be the time when, if you need to leave, you can. But if you want to stay and remain and come forward for prayer, uh, that'll be, that time will be for you. So I'm continuing on this series that I started a while back called Basic. And for those who may not remember the beginning of it or what it was about, it was this kind of uh, a desire that I had that I wanted to present the basic fundamentals of the Christian faith. Because sometimes it's real easy to, to, to talk in uh, 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 Christian words or Christian knees or referring to things that, you know, if I say something like the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, those in, that have been growing up in church might have heard that before, but those who may have been, you know, for the first time ever walking into church, they're probably thinking, lamb, what? Before the world, what? Huh? Huh? And so part of this is to help lay out basic fundamentals that point to the Christian faith. Because I need it. And I need to be reminded of it. Because it's so easy to get off on rabbit trails and think, oh, what about this over here? And what about this over here? While Christ crucified for the forgiveness of my sins is over here being left unaddressed. And I need to hear that every single day. I need to be reminded every single day that, yes, Jesus still died for me. And, yes, Jesus still saves and can save and will hold on to Christians. Because sometimes we think, okay, we're in the club and now we're going to be perfect. And we find out real quick that we still do the things that we don't want to do. And the things we want to do, we don't do. You know, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Just like our brother Paul said, that the, 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 the Christian life is, is, feels like two steps forward and three steps back. And it feels like I'm making progress here, but I'm failing over here. You know, is this working and if you're looking at you and your performance, of course it's looking like it's not working. You're looking at you. You're not looking at Jesus for you. Because he's the one who's authored your faith, will complete your faith, will finish your faith. He's the show. He's the one that is running the game. God is the one who's running the verbs of our salvation. And every time I look at me and see how Zach Cole is, is doing, all I see is bad news. But when I look at Jesus and I see what he has done for me, all I can see is good news. And that is the same for every one of us. And so before, and last time I spoke, I introduced the creed and what it can help provide, the, the, what benefits it provides. It ha it's something to memorize. Uh, um, and I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but uh, when, when, when God inspired Moses to write the, uh, the law or the, or the uh, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, back in the Hebrew, uh, and all throughout the Old Testament, there was a certain cadence to Hebrew. When, when, you're, when you're speaking it, when you're saying it, it's like a, it almost sounds like a ditty or a rhyme. And that's because, scholars believe that's because, back in that day, people could remember it. 
when they didn't have scrolls. The scrolls were where Moses was. It was, you know, not everyone had a copy of the Old Testament. But in, in, in moments of trial, they remember what, the, what David said, that when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. That the valley is there, you're in it, but God's with you. And that provided comfort for those who are going through that time. The word seems to repeat itself or it seems to emerge in, in those trials and turmoils. Because in trials, I need the promises of God, not the promises of Zach. I, I, need, I need to know what God has promised. I, his, his, exactly, we've seen so many times his promises are yes and amen to his children. And so before we get into the meat and potatoes of the creed that I would like to dissect and even further into other advances in uh, uh, the series that I have on basic, I want to dive into the Ten Commandments because that's, that's what has to be given first, the law, right? And so we're going to read Exodus chapter 20, and I'm going to read the, the Ten Commandments or the verses where uh, God is giving the Ten Commandments, giving the law to his people. Verse 20 Excuse me, chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay? What are the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments are God's law. His good and loving will for the lives and well-being of all people. God wants us to trust him above all else, to love him and to love our neighbor. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all people to be saved. You might hear this and that over there that God only wants this group, only wants that people to be No, God wants everybody to be saved. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40 reads, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? That's a question that's being asked of Jesus. And he said to him, this is Jesus talking, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. A quick note. Christians often distinguish the commandments in two parts. Those that pertain to love for God and those that pertain to love for neighbor. And they call them the two tablets or tables of the law since God wrote the commandments on two stone tablets. How did God give his law to us? First, God wrote these instructions upon the heart of every human creature. All people have a conscience, an inborn sense of right and wrong. 
Some will try as hard as they can to argue against this point, saying that, no, there's no inherent law or inherent good, inherent evil, and, and then you bring up something that they are against that would be morally wrong, and, you know, the moral law tends to emerge on them, even though they try to figure out ways to argue against it. Romans chapter 2, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse of even or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secret of men by Christ Jesus. God wrote the Ten Commandments of stone tablets for the people of Israel. We read that in Exodus, and there's other passages in the Old Testament that talk about it. There's all, there are other laws in the Old Testament. There's three laws that most kind of identify in the Old Testament. There's the moral law. There's the ceremonial law, which was given to the Jews of how they are to perform the religious practices. And then there's the, um, a, there was like a political law or a, a state law that was within the Jewish state. The, Isra the Israelites say of, of what laws are supposed to be brought about. Um, we are, Christians are not bound by ceremonial law. All right? Sometimes people will try to get on this new teacher, new fad, like, hey, we got to do this because the, the Israelites are doing this. And if it's ceremonial, I'll, no, no. That was a big deal in Galatians, right? That, that was, you know, Paul and Peter were at odds in, in the New Testament because Peter, you know, he, he preached the gospel. But then, you know, when the Gentiles came to show up to the party and they were eating all this kind of crazy stuff, Peter went over and he didn't eat with them or commune with them. He sat with the, with the Jews who did the right ceremonial law. And Paul let him have it. He was like, hey, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? This isn't the gospel. The Gentiles, they've been welcomed in. And there was this, and false teachers, right, came into the church in Galatia. Yeah, yeah, Paul preached Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of sins, but you got to get circumcised or you're not saved. Or you got to do this or God's not going to love you. you got to do this or you're not in fellowship with Christ. Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. Jesus plus nothing is the gospel. Christ himself alone saves. Anyone who says, but, 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 yeah, Jesus, but, they're, they're, they're giving you a different gospel. But there's not another gospel. And this, and this is anything. You can make up anything today. It may not be circumcision, but it may be something that you're doing to keep yourself in the club along with Jesus. That's not the gospel. How does God use the Ten Commandments in our lives in the lives of others in this world. First, for the good of his creation, God uses the law to limit or prevent coarse outbursts of sin, thereby helping to keep order in the world. God uses the law like, you know, you, you can't do this in polite society because these are bad things that will happen. Specifically, if you do this, the authorities are going to arrest you and do this back to you or going to punish you in this way. And, and let's keep it clear here. This law doesn't give any righteousness to anyone. Do you understand? Just because you don't go out on a shooting spree, just because you don't do all these things, just because you don't break the law because you don't want to go to jail doesn't make you righteous. You're just not doing it because you don't want the repercussions. You don't want the consequences. That doesn't mean you're good. That just means you don't want to be in trouble. 
Second, he uses the law to reveal and condemn our sin. In Romans 3.20, Romans 7.7, 7, 1 John 1.10, all these verses tell us how we are sinners. And if anyone says he has not sinned, he is calling God a liar. Because God says that all have sinned. We have all broken the law. Remember that rich young ruler who came to Jesus. Well, I have kept the commandments my whole life since my youth. Really? Did you really? Did you really, really love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, never taking your eyes off of him? You can't even get past commandment number one and your toast. There's no reason to go with all the others because they condemn you too. And remember those that, and even Jesus says, you know, you know, I tell you the truth, those that say that they haven't committed adultery because they haven't done it in, the, in, in here, but if it's in here, it's just as bad. Or, yeah, you may not have physically killed someone, but in your heart you hated your brother. That's murder. That, that's in the heart. See, Jesus, when Jesus came, he revealed the law in all its glory. You know, it wasn't just things to do and things to abstain from. Jesus, like people, like the Sermon on the Mount, that is law. That whole thing, blessed is this, blessed is that. Blessed, and if you read it to us, like, well, that's not me. The Sermon on the Mount accuses everyone and sets a different look on the Sermon on the Mount. We think, oh, if I just do this, these are good things. It is good. I'm not. That's the bad news. The law is good, y'all. God's law is good and holy and perfect. I am not. Why is the second use of the law so important? It shows that we have sinned and cannot keep God's commandments. And so it makes known our need for the gospel of Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law. The law always accuses. The, God, the law doesn't save a sinner. That's not what it's designed to do to a sinner. The law always accuses. Always. Even the stuff that you should do, even the stuff that's good for a Christian to do, it still accuses. Love your neighbor as yourself. A Christian ought to do that. Do I love my neighbor? Have you seen me in Atlanta traffic? And I may not be doing anything with, with physically. I may not be doing this, but it's in here every day. And, and there's some days where I'm okay. That I think I'm okay. See, that's the dangerous part. The dangerous part is when I think I'm okay. Because that means I, I, I have not yet begun to consider the depth of my sin. What is sin? Sin is humanity's fallen condition. We are turned away from God and are unable to look to him for security, meaning, and righteousness. The inner sinful condition results in actual sins of thought, desire, word, or deed that are contrary to God's will as summarized in the Ten Commandments. Yeah, sin is real, y'all, and it's bad. This little, oh, it's a mistake, or oh, I'm not perfect, or oh, I made or, or, a little oopsies. No, that's, that's bad. It's not something to be blinked at. You know, oh, I, I'm only human. I make, I make mistakes. Or, or I'm, you know, that, that's not an excuse. That's not, that's not a good absolving of yourself. You're still responsible. Oh, I'm not perfect. Jesus says you, have, you must be. Be perfect. Like your Father in heaven is perfect. And see, that's when we can go one of two directions. One, well, I better get to work. 
or two, have mercy on me, a sinner. You need me to be perfect? I can't do that. I, I know I'm not going to do that. Well, what's the way out? Is there any hope for someone like me who can't live, who can't perform God's perfect law? How did sin enter God's good creation? The devil brought sin into this world by tempting Adam and Eve, who willingly yielded to the temptation. How did Adam and Eve's disobedience affect us? In Adam and Eve's sin, the entire human race also fell into sin. We call this original or inherited sin. How does original sin affect every human creature? It means that every person is now born without the ability to fear and love God. We are spiritually blind and dead. With an endless desire to sin, we are enemies of God. See, a sinner's not going to want God. The Bible says a sinner does not want God. The Bible says a sinner will choose sin over God 100% of the time. Now, I'm meaning you're 100% going to do awful all the time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you, on your own, cannot choose God. Remember? With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It is a miracle every time someone comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ. You know why? Because it means God did something. God took the hearing of the gospel and exploded it into a dead heart. Faith in Christ. Just like Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And dead Lazarus woke up. The Bible says that when the gospel hits the dead soul, it says, hey, Zach, wake up. Jesus died for you. And now do I get up and say, oh, I'm so glad I let Jesus save me. No. No, I'm not singing about what I did for Jesus. If I'm singing at all, I'm singing about what Jesus did for me. See, that's... The Christianity and the Christian faith, contrary to popular belief, does not revolve around the action of the Christian. The Christian faith and Christianity revolves around the action of Christ for the Christian. The emphasis is all on him. And that's good news. That's good news to know that it is his show and it is his work and it is his doing. The gospel is better than you think it is. The gospel is better than I think it is. It's it, in those moments when I feel like God is disappointed in me or that I've let him down or that I'm whatever or that I'm in a, a bad place relationally with God, I know that's an error. Because why? Because he is in perfect relationship with Jesus. And what is being counted in my place in God's courtroom? Christ. All Jesus Christ. All Him. In place of me. Christians are the same, at the same time saints and sinners who continue to struggle against sin. Read Romans 7, 14 through 25. This is where Paul describes the ongoing struggle against sin. I kind of referenced it a second ago. And without going into detail, which I can do next time, of each commandment. Each commandment that's here, that is given, it's just ten. It's just ten. Ten. And they all 
that I'll lay all of us to waste. What does God say about all these commandments? He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's Exodus 20. What does this mean? God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and must and not do anything against them. But he promises grace and every blessing to all who keep these commandments. Therefore, we should also love and trust in him and gladly do what he commands. What moves God to punish or bless? Disobedience provokes God to righteous anger and to punish sin. God's undeserved loving kindness, his grace, moves him to forgive and bless us for the sake of Christ. How carefully does God want us to keep his commandments? As I mentioned a second ago, God wants us to keep his commandments perfectly in thoughts, words, and deed. Can anyone then be saved by keeping God's commandments? No. God's holy law condemns everyone, for we are all disobedient. We're alone. Can we sinners find rescue from the condemnation of God and from the accusation of the law? Because of God's merciful kindness, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to rescue us from our sin and the condemnation we deserved. As our substitute, Jesus kept God's holy law perfectly, suffered, died, and rose again for you. Therefore, in our crucified and risen Lord Jesus, we are freed from the guilt punishment and the power of sin and we are saved eternally final salvation is found in christ alone it is past present and future reality jesus saved you all by himself john 3 16 for god so loved the world he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life Romans 5.19, for as by the one man, Adam's, disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man, Jesus' obedience, the many will be made righteous. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. How much does God love you? God's love is displayed in this way, that while you were a sinner, Jesus died for you. He died for me. God loves you so much more than you think he does. Oh, you don't know about me. You don't know all the stuff I've done. You don't know all the stuff that I'm going to do. You don't know all this. God knows. He knew 2,000 years ago, and he still went and did it. He knew before the foundations of the world were laid, and he still did it. Why? Because you're his. You're his. You're his child. So he's literally going to lay down everything for you. What does the kingdom of God look like? There was a parable about that field, right? And this man found a treasure in the field and he gave everything he had so that he could go buy the field, right? So I grew up thinking that differently because the emphasis was all on me, right? So I saw that parable. I was taught that parable and I saw, oh, that's like Jesus dead buried in a field and I got to go give everything away so I can buy the field. No, 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 no. It's flipped. What if the field was a cemetery? 
And there's nothing but dead people in boxes in this field. And the man who found that field was Jesus Christ. And in that field, he found buried treasure, his beloved. And he gave everything and purchased it, the whole field, with his very blood. Because what is more valuable than the blood of God? Nothing. And he bought the field. And he says, mine, it's mine. All throughout Scripture, if I can challenge you with anything today, this is a big challenge because it's different. It'll change everything. When you pick up the Bible and you read it, look for the emphasis on Christ's action for sinners from Genesis to Revelation, and you'll see the gospel come alive in the Old Testament. You'll see it come alive all throughout, and it'll hit you that this whole thing is about Jesus for sinners. I am not saved because I chose to give everything to Jesus. I am saved because Jesus chose to give everything to me. Will the team come forward, please? Today, right now, if you have never accepted Christ, if you have never placed your faith in him, I invite you to do so now. And in the simplest way I know how, I want to read something to you. Because I said a second ago that faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Therefore, I want everyone in here to hear the gospel in its purest form that I know how. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for you. He did it for you. Even the person who thinks, oh, not for me. Yeah, especially you. He literally placed his dead body in front of our way to hell. You're literally going to have to walk over his dead body. It is his will that all are saved. If you have never placed your faith in him, I have confidence that the Holy Spirit has put faith into that heart right now after hearing the gospel. And therefore, I invite you to come forward during this time and let the prayer team pray for you. Let us know that you want to be saved, forgiven, that you want to be a Christian. We will pray for you and we will invite you to be baptized at our next baptismal service when we have it. I invite you to join the church this morning. By joining, you are saying you want to be a part of this church family. You are saying that you are a sinner and are confessing your sins. You are saying that you are turning from your faith in you and placing your faith in Christ. I invite you this morning to receive the gift of God's grace, the free gift to you of faith in Jesus Christ, crucified for the forgiveness of sins. 
the cross is offensive. It is. The offense of the cross is not the assumed saint it rejects, but the real sinner it accepts. So all are invited. I invite you this morning right now. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Will the prayer team come forward, please?